Dr. Robert Gates served under eight presidents during his career of public service, making history as the 22nd Secretary of Defense spanning the presidencies of both George W. Bush and Barack Obama. That made him the first Secretary of Defense to serve under two presidents from different political parties. We take a look at a few of the lessons he learned that prepared him to lead the U.S. military. So that taught me a lot of... uh a lot about how you make change and how you how you lead people because very often uh, even if people work for you if they don't want to do um, what you're asking uh, it can be a pretty steep climb he tells us about his time in the cabinet and as an aggie when he was president of texas a&m university and even tells us which presidents influenced him the most i'm andrew kaufman and this is the strategist presented by the george w bush institute What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategerist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. All right, well, straight from the main stage at the Forum on Leadership, where he just had a really compelling and in-depth conversation with President Bush on the responsibilities of global citizenship, we're honored to have a man who's worked in eight presidential administrations. He's the 22nd Secretary of Defense, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, and noted Eagle Scout, Dr. Robert Gates. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gates. My pleasure. And our co-host is Holly Kuzmich, the executive director of the Bush Institute, who's also a former member of the Bush administration. Holly, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Glad to be here. Well, so let's let's start with the important stuff. You're an Eagle Scout. What leadership lessons came out of your experience in, in, in scouting? Well, I, I like to say that uh, the only leadership or management course that I ever had was the National Junior Leader Training Program for the Boy Scouts at Philmont Scout Ranch when I was uh, 14 years old. And nothing teaches leadership skills like trying to get a bunch of 12- and 13-year-old boys to do what they don't want to do. You can't make them do it, and um, and you have to persuade them to do it. And uh, so that taught me a lot of... Uh, a lot about how you make change and how you how you lead people because very often uh, even if people work for you if they don't want to do um, what you're asking uh, it can be a pretty steep climb you my understanding of the eagle scouts i'm not a scout i have to admit is that there's always a final project can you tell us what your final project was well this is an interesting uh, case and let me preface my answer by saying there aren't very many things in America today that are more difficult than they were a long time ago. And, but that is the case with uh, becoming an Eagle Scout. Uh, and the, the culmination of the Eagle Scout uh, requirements is doing a major project. And kids have to raise money, they have to organize their troop, they have to get the support of local um, businesses and so on to fund and help help do many of these projects, which are quite elaborate. To cut to the chase, when I was an Eagle Scout, when I became an Eagle Scout, there was no requirement for a project. Uh-huh. 
And so, you know, I tell these kids today, you're getting your Eagle Scout badge today is dramatically harder than it was when I was a Boy Scout when I was 15 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, Dr. Gates, you have the unique honor of having served eight different presidential administrations. And I've heard you talk before about the different leadership styles you saw out of each of the presidents you worked for. Can you share either a story or two or a, a sort of a general lesson that you've taken from watching different leaders with different styles and how that's impacted your own leadership? Well, I think I think um, most people learn from both good bosses and bad bosses. And sometimes the most meaningful lessons you learn are from the bad bosses. <laughs> I would say that uh, most of the lessons that I learned about how not to lead people were probably learned under the first two presidents I worked for, President uh, Johnson and President Nixon. I would say that the other, the six presidents that I worked for, um, were more, much more positive role models. Um, they all, for me, were uh, men of integrity. Um, they wanted around them the smartest people they could find. Um, they had a lot of self-confidence, but it wasn't the kind of chest-beating uh, self-confidence that we see too much of today in a variety of circles. But, but people who had enough confidence in themselves and were comfortable enough in their own skin that they weren't afraid to have people around them that might be smarter than they were. And they would listen to these people and then um, uh, integrate what they heard with their own instincts and their own experience and, and I think uh, make, make uh, much better decisions. I think they were all had in common the willingness to listen. Um, and I would say that in virtually every case, um, they showed loyalty down. They expected loyalty up, but they also demonstrated loyalty to loyalty down. Uh, and, and I think that was very important. I think both of the presidents, Bush, were especially strong in, in that arena. Can you also talk, you obviously have the distinction of serving as Secretary of Defense for President Bush and then being asked by President Obama to stay over. What was that transition like? Well, it was a little awkward. Uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the time was Admiral Mike Mullen. And, and obviously, Mike and I had served um, for two years uh, as very senior members of President Bush's national security team. And so uh, the Obama team comes in and it's and here's Mike Mullen and I sitting there listening to uh, Secretary Clinton and Vice President Biden and President uh, Obama basically trash the Bush national security team and all the decisions that were made and so on. And Mike and I would look at each other in the car on the way back to the Pentagon and just, you know, roll our eyes and say, well, what, are we invisible? <laughs> they don't realize that we were part of the team that they're trashing. And I took the satisfaction of knowing that every four or eight years, somebody will be trashing them just like they <laughs> trashed the people that went before them. Um, but it was also awkward on the Hill because um, under President Bush, let's say under the Armed Services Committee, the Republicans sat on the right and the Democrats sat on the left. 
And the Republicans would be pitching me softballs and be friendly and be very nice and everything. And the Democrats were trying to nail me and, and be as nasty as they possibly could, just trashing everything I was saying and disagreeing and questioning motives and so on and so forth. I go to my first hearing after Obama becomes president and all of a sudden it's the Republicans who are trashing me and the Democrats are my best friends lobbing softballs and so on. Actually about halfway through the hearing, I kind of called a timeout and I said, you guys realize what's happened here? I mean, I, to the Republicans, you used to be my friends and the Democrats you used to be my adversaries and now you've flipped, but I'm the same guy and I haven't changed my views on anything. Don't you think that's a little weird? And at least, at least I got a good laugh out of it. <laughs> it's it's emblematic. Unfortunately, if you just got a good laugh, that's not a terribly good sign. <laughs> Were when you made when you made that transition was was it a jarring change in leadership and change in leadership styles? Was it a a a sudden move or was it did it feel kind of smooth other than the awkwardness that you? It was it was actually relatively smooth. Um, President Obama was respectful. Um, he listened to people. Um, obviously he was much more as a, as a former law professor, much more analytical and, and methodical. Uh, whereas President Bush, after listening to everybody, was probably more inclined to, to listen to his instincts. Um, but, but I was always, Treated very respectfully and very well by uh, by the Obama team, we did um, we did begin to well the the one place where we had huge differences was on Afghanistan uh, and and we had some real deep divisions in the administration on that issue at the end of two thousand and nine. But I first of all there was a great deal of continuity. President Bush had put in place the strategic framework agreement with Iraq, so the path ahead in Iraq had already been established uh, by President Bush in terms of drawdowns and so on. And President uh, Obama had actually run on wanting to do more in Afghanistan. He called it the neglected war. And so on both on the two wars that I was responsible for, um, there was a lot of continuity in policy for the first couple of years of the Obama administration. Similarly, um, Obama made no effort to cut the defense budget uh, in the first two years. Um, these things all began to change in the last six or eight months I was there. I began to have differences on – I disagreed with the decision on Libya. I thought the way we treated President Mubarak sent a bad signal and was bad in itself. I thought that uh, – and the president was asking me for cuts in the defense budget that I thought were really unwise. But But initially, it was really quite smooth. And when you have these disagreements, as as a leader, do you have a approach that you take when when faced with these situations? When you are disagreeing with with whatever viewpoint and situation that you're in, no matter who the who the what the administration is. Yeah, I mean, I I um, when I was director of Central Intelligence, and then when I was Secretary of Defense, um, if I had a, a serious disagreement with the president. I always tried to express that in private um, so that we could actually have a very candid conversation and nobody was posturing for anybody else. And I, I probably had more of those conversations with President Obama than I did with any other president. 
Um, and I certainly was not afraid to engage in the situation room when we were debating policies in terms of arguing what, from the standpoint of the Department of Defense, we ought to do. But if there were real issues directly with the president, I tried to do that in private. Is So we have a long history now with the with the strategist of having Aggies this on our show. This isn't intentional. Good for, good for you. <laughs> exactly. This isn't intentional, but it's happened. We've had Congressman Will Hurd. We had um, uh, Secretary Cisneros from the Clinton administration. And of course, yourself. And you were in the you're the president of Texas A&M University and also an honorary member of the Corps. What did you learn from that from that younger generation? Well, I I have always found in the various organizations that I've led that that the people on the front lines, whether it's students at A and M or faculty at the university or spies or at CIA or soldiers uh, and um, sailors, airmen, and marines in the military, that that those on the front lines often have the best insights into what's working and what's not working and how things could be improved and and what the problems are. And I found interacting with, uh, uh, with the students at A&M and particularly the Corps um, to be very helpful to me in terms of understanding the issues and the problems that, that the students were facing, but that the university faced as well. I, I also think a big part of leading organizations when you um, are leading change, which I think is essential in every institution, central to that is identifying what traditions and what parts of the culture are core to the long existence of the institution and must be preserved and strengthened and which parts of the culture and tradition have to be left behind. And I think the core represented the the best of the traditions of Texas A&M and most of the great traditions of A&M come from the core and its military background, and that's particularly the sense of family and of looking out for each other and, um, you know, all of the great traditions, whether it's muster or uh, silver taps or a number of the others that I think are really amazing, uh, are all about family and and watching out for each other, mourning each other, celebrating each other. And, and so I think, and the core in many ways uh, embodies those best uh, aspects of the A and M culture. Yeah, there's if there's one thing Texas A and M is famous for, it's it's that tight knit community. Uh, Dr. Gates, you get you do plenty of speeches and people interview you. What do you what do people never spend enough time asking you about that you wish you could talk more about? Well, I think I think it's something that you know sometimes people ought to ask more public officials about, and that is. What's the impact of the roles that you had on your family? And um, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's very difficult at controversial times when you've got a camera crew camped out at the end of your driveway and your kids are trying to get to school uh, and so on. It, it has an impact. But it's also, there are some fun aspects of it. My, my son was a Boy Scout when I was director of CIA. And his troop had a father-son camp out over on the uh, Tidewater, I mean, uh, the eastern shore of Maryland. And I went 
and as I've as I've written, I think that the wilderness adventure aspect of it was uh, uh, the shine was taken off of that by the two very large black trucks with satellite <laughs> dishes and CIA security all over, all around the campsite. Um, but what made the security guys especially nervous was on Sunday morning the program was teaching these 12 and 13 and 14 year olds how to shoot skeet. And it was just what the security guys wanted, a bunch of kids with shotguns around the, around the director of CIA. Oh, amazing. Dr. Gates, thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. Yeah, my with pleasure. President Bush on stage and here with us. And your, the conversation was really interesting. So I really want to encourage everybody to catch that on www.bushcenter.org slash forum on leadership. You can watch that, that full conversation. And Dr. Gates, we hope to have you back sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you so Enjoy. much. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us spread the word about The Strategist, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening apps. If you're tuning in on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find episode notes with helpful information and details you may have missed. The Strategist was produced by Ioana Pappas at the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for listening. 